just real, isn't it? So hello, good morning. If I haven't met you before, my name's Richard, and I'm here to talk you through the sermon today. Toilets are situated through that door. <laughs> Fire exit, and I've had enough of Richard talking exit, is that way. But it's locked at the moment. No, it's not really. <laughs> no, it's not really. <laughs> you can't say that in a church. <laughs> so we're, we've been um, working our way through Hebrews. And um, we're moving on to chapter 6 today, as many of you know. If you haven't uh, been with us for the duration of this series over the past three years, not really, um, you can catch up. You can uh, <laughs> be brought up to speed by reading the Bible and also listening to our podcasts. Uh, our podcasts can be um, obtained, acquired, downloaded, uploaded, in, out, shake it all about from our uh, Facebook page, The Bay Church, and our website. <laughs> what? Um, this is information, Alan. It's, it's important. Um, so, Hebrews chapter 6. I'm not actually going to read Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. You know, it, the, um, controversial, I know. It's, uh, it's my scripture, but it's not my script. Um, in that... I'd much rather talk to you about my journey o over the past few weeks because I, I, th I think it's, uh, it's something that God wants me to share with you and bring to you. It's fresh, it's relevant, it's what I'm learning at the moment. Your challenge is to connect that to Hebrews 6. <laughs> but actually the theme of today is... Uh, connection, not control. It's about connection, not about control. So I want you to make a connection this morning. It's a story of three chapters this morning. Um, and I've even got titles for the chapters. As a kid, I used to love reading. Well, I just used to love reading. And I remember reading, I'm sure it's the, the Winnie the Pooh stories, and each chapter had a really interesting heading, starting with the two words. Does anyone remember the two words? In which. In which Piglet discovered blood, you know, in which Pooh got stuck down a rabbit hole. So my chapters are titled In Which. So chapter one, in which Richard, not Pooh, although, um, in which Richard to atone for his sins, attends a different church. Chapter 2 is entitled, in which Richard explores the possibility that there is no such thing as sin. Chapter 3, in which Richard discovers that beggars can be choosers. So, chapter 1. <laughs> I didn't see you last weekend because I wasn't here. I went somewhere else for me sins, literally. Uh, I went to a place that deals with people who drive at 34 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a few familiar kind of, oh, oh yeah, I've been, I've been to that place. Yeah. Notice the emphasis on 34 miles an hour. 
So I met lots of people that have been driving at 34 miles an hour. I met some 35ers, some 36ers, and some 37ers. Although I suspect the 37ers were really 47ers or 50 whatever. We all came with our reasons that we, why we shouldn't be there. <laughs> it was really interesting. We all came in and sat in rows, and I heard people kind of saying in a disgruntled way, you know, the police should be out catching the real criminals, etc., etc. You know, um, I'm, I'm sure my speedo doesn't work very well. I heard every single excuse, every single excuse. It was really interesting. And uh, there was also a lady who came basically to confess all of her sins. She, she was only there for one of her offenses, but she felt the need to confess loads of others, which was really interesting. And as we were sat there in rows, you know, all of us with our reasons why we shouldn't be there, all of us feeling a bit guilty, a bit kind of, a bit judged, and this lady confessing everything, just getting everything off her chest. Um, and then we started learning, actually. It was really positive. Um, I can recommend, no. <laughs> I started to, as we were sat there, I started to think this is a bit like church. <laughs> Not necessarily in a good way. Um, and God actually started speaking to me. So it was a bit like church in that respect. And actually, I came out of that place a changed man. I came out of that place um, having really met with God at the... At the uh, National Speed Awareness Course. There's my new Bible. <laughs> the NDORS version. I did learn lots uh, practically, which is embarrassing to admit. You know, it was some years ago that I actually looked at the, um, I can't even remember what it's called. The, the there, we, there we go, the highway code. <laughs> that thing. I wonder how long ago you looked at it. bit like church, yeah? <laughs> and when I passed my driving test, and by the way, passed first time after only 12 lessons, thank you. When I passed my driving test, I signed an agreement. I don't remember what was written on that agreement. I don't know if you do, but we were told what we signed <laughs> at the driver, the speed awareness course. Uh, apparently, we, we signed to agree, we kind of made a covenant to agree to... Um, to drive thereafter in a, in a safe manner, in a, in a manner that respects other drivers, etc., etc. We made that agreement and we signed. I say we because you will have signed that too. We, we, we made that pact, that, that contract, okay? And we were told in no uncertain terms by a very polite, nice gentleman that we were there because we had broken that agreement. You know, we had broken that. So we were there uh, most of us were there to kind of get our slate wiped clean, you know, with the points being removed from our license. That's why we were there. Again, is that a bit like church? But not necessarily in a good way. I want to encourage you today that church doesn't have to be like that. Actually, sh church shouldn't be like that. We don't need to come to church because we feel that we need to get our slate wiped clean. That's already been done, people. That's already been done. We don't need to come to church because we feel, oh, I haven't been for a while. I should really go and make the effort. Although coming is a good idea. Don't get me wrong. But don't come out of guilt. Don't come out of, um, you know, not having been here for a while. But don't come expecting to get the slate wiped clean. 
you need to stand on the assurance that that has already been done. That has already been done. Isn't that a massive theme of Hebrews? Isn't that a massive thing that we've been learning, uh, learning into a greater depth over the past few weeks? So yeah, in which Richard attends a different church. But I've come back to this one. So there you go. Only because I'm preaching. <laughs> Chapter 2. <laughs> I'm in a cheeky mood today. Don't mind telling you. Chapter 2, in which Richard explores the possibility that there is no such thing as sin. That's quite normal, by the way, when I preach. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. Um, there's going to be a couple of groans in a moment when I tell you it's an allotment story. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I was down the allotment the other day, and I was planting some different types of squash and courgette. Okay, We've even got a photo somewhere. Oi! <laughs> Where's Mark when you need him? Jackie, have we got a photo of a... Okay. <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> hey, there we go. Well done, Jackie. <laughs> Big love to Jackie in the booth. Okay. <laughs> so there's my plants. And uh, before I planted them, I noticed that there were loads of other plants in that raised bed. You can't really see them now because I, I got rid of them all. And uh, those plants were weeds. I just want you very quickly to discuss, talk with each other, and I want you to come up with the names of five types of weeds. Five plants that are weeds. Let's see if we can get five. Okay, that'll do. Were you just talking about weeds? Or, or are some of you on weed? Right. Let's hear some, let's hear some types, types of weed then. Stinging nettle? No, sorry, you're wrong. Anything else? Pardon? Dandelion? No, sorry. No, definitely not. Big ones, okay, that's a bit closer. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what he said. Say it again. Something that grows that you didn't plant is a weed. There is no such thing, there's no such thing as a weed, yet there are lots of weeds, but th that's different, okay? There are loads of weeds all over the place, but there's no such thing as a weed. A weed, by definition, is a plant that grows in the wrong place, uh, not according to the intention of the gardener. If I didn't mean it to be there, it's a weed. So I 
pulled out of that raised bed some lovely chives with their beautiful purple flowers. Got rid of them. Uh, some spring onions. Got rid of them. They had to go. Um, some um, poppies. Some lovely poppies just swaying in the breeze. Got rid of them. <laughs> Weeds. They weren't meant to be there. They looked lovely, but they weren't supposed to be there. It was not according to my intention as the gardener. Even if there was a lovely red rose bush with Marks and Spencer's quality roses growing from it, it's not meant to be there. It would have to go. Because what is supposed to be there are those squash and courgette plants. Imagine if I took pity on all of those seedlings, because they look so lovely, and planted my plants amongst them. What would happen? They'd get overgrown. There'd be massive competition for nutrients, for water, for light, and nothing would thrive. Can you see where I'm going with this? Back to the chapter title, in which Richard explores the possibility that there is no such thing as sin. You see, there was a time where we, we petitioned God, approached God, and asked him to make our lives simpler. We asked him for a set of things that were sin and a set of things that weren't sin. We asked him for laws and rules and commandments, and God, in his compassion, gave them to us. And you would have thought that would have made life very simple. Actually, it didn't. It made life blooming awful because of the, all the small print. You know, all of those commandments, there was loads of uh, except when or only on a Tuesday type small print, and it became more and more complicated to stick to the things that weren't sin and avoid the things that were sin. When sin became a thing, it became very difficult to live a pure and righteous life. Okay? When Jesus walked on this earth, that's the, that's, the, that's the environment he walked amongst. If you read the Gospels and about Jesus and his walk and, and who he met and who he spoke to, the, the environment, the culture was full of people obsessed by, you can't do this on a Tuesday. You know, you can't do this when you're wearing sandals, yet you can if you've got ginger hair and a mustache. All of these, it doesn't actually say that, but the point is, all of these stipulations people got obsessed with. And they totally, totally, over the decades, over the centuries, missed the point. It became about control, not about connection. Thank God, thank God, our journey with God is about connection, not about control. You see, that has been turned around. That old covenant has been broken. It has been broken. So our challenge is to stop living like it hasn't been broken. We can't plant God's intended plants in our raised bed if we have our intended plants there as well. We can't plant what will flourish and grow in connection with God if we're full of weeds. And those weeds could look lovely. They could be the best of intentions, the best of intentions. They could be the most wonderful Facebook-promoted works. They could be the most glamorous, gorgeous um, acts of love and compassion. But if they're born out of a lack of connection with the Father, they need to go. That sounds very harsh, 
And I don't mean it to be actually because it's a positive mes message. It's a message of encouragement to make sure that you have the connection rather than a, a sense of being controlled. And I'm really glad I deliberately stood under this today. I think it's lovely. Just reminds me of kind of roots coming through the soil, you know. These are God's roots coming down. And each one is a heart connection. His heart to my heart. Nice. One day I may use the jellyfish as an analogy. <laughs> but not today. <laughs> this is mad if you're listening to this on the podcast. Jellyfish. <laughs> hmm. In Matthew, it says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. I'm reading this because I've always struggled with this passage, but I think God is starting to open this up to me and teach me about this. So I'm sharing that with you. I'm sharing a journey. I'm not sharing the, the answers. I don't claim to have the answers here. I'm confessing to you, I'm being honest about struggling with this passage, okay? But I think God is showing me what this is about. Let me read it to you. Not everybody who says to me, this is Jesus uh, preaching, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with that because it seems really harsh. And I've also gone through times where I thought, what if I'm one of those people who think I'm doing the right thing, but when I get on judgment day, you know, and Jesus says, I never knew you. What if I'm one of those people? That's quite uh, alarming, potentially to put it mildly, I think what God is saying to me about this is that, again, even when it says, only those who do the will of my Father, that is not about control. In the new covenant, it's not about control. It's about connection. So to do the will of the Father is not to be um, this kind of, this, this um, dumb slave who just does everything you know, every command we're given, right, I'll do it, I'll do it. It's more than that. It's about connection. It's a two-way thing, heart-to-heart -heart connection. And, of course, if we're connected so intimately, we will do the will of the Father. Do you see the difference? Do you? Do you? <laughs> Listen to this. Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And expel demons in your name. And do lots of miracles in your name. We do lots of things in the name of the Father, don't we? In Jesus' name. I don't think it's saying that's a bad thing. I think it's saying that it's, if it's without this heart-to-heart -heart connection, it's a poor substitute. It's a poor substitute. Without the heart connection, we can still do things in the name of the Father, but it's a poor substitute. Let me give you a very relevant example. Um, yesterday and today, Beth, my wife, um, is running um, the um, Race for Life. 
She did one yesterday where she got covered with mud and people slapped her and you pay money to do it, apparently. Um, today, she's doing a more normal run, a 10K. She's dressed in pink. It's Race for Life. On her back, it says something like, I'm doing this in the name of Rebecca. Okay? And most of us know Rebecca um, has cancer and, and Beth and Rebecca are very close friends. She's doing it to honor her friend Rebecca. Lovely, fantastic. Um, and I took a photo of Beth with that on her back yesterday and put it on Facebook. And I had a feeling that that would be, there would be very mixed emotions when, when Rebecca saw that. Um, my feeling was because I knew that the original plan was for Rebecca to do it with her. All right? So it's going to be hard for Rebe Rebecca to, uh, to feel 100% good about that, but only because she wanted to be there. You see, Beth is doing something in the name of Rebecca, but ideally she'd be doing it with Rebecca. There's the difference. So when we do things in the name of the Father or in Jesus' name, we pray and we put on a Christian voice and we do things in Jesus' name, what the Father wants is to do those things with us. And that's the difference. So, when Jesus does say, I've never known you or I never knew you, I think he's talking about that intimate connection. He's not saying, who are you? I don't recognize you. Of course he would recognize us. Whether we've done the worst things in the world or the best things, he would know us. He's not saying that. He's not scorning us. He's not turning his back on us. He's just saying, I never knew you. You know, you went ahead without me. You did things in my name without retaining that connection. I never knew you. It's a, it's, it's a gentle thing with a, with a, a, a tinge of sadness. It's, it's, I never knew you. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking at the moment anyway. And that's as far as I've got with that. Chapter 3. In which Richard discovers that beggars can be choosers. I want to share something that happened to me uh, three or four weeks ago. I was down in London on another international uh, work commitment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was at a conference and I was on the way back and I was getting quite a, a perhaps ridiculously excited about the fact that there was a little Marks and Spencer's food place in King's Cross because I knew that if I was just to get on the train and purchase something from the train it would be like a, a sat on sandwich and you know some, some cheese and onion crisps and so I went to Marks and Spencers, and I love those shelves in Marks and Spencers where you get the clear plastic tubs, and there's loads of different kind of pulses and little things to pour over, and chunks of feta cheese and mango and chili, and it's just fantastic. It's it's my my kind of Woolworths pick and mix. So I go in into Marks and Spencers, and I get three or four of these tubs, and think, oh, that'd be great on the train. I love that. I love that. Um, I've got some crisps as well, and I've got um, something like a, um, a flapjack bar, okay? So I'm sorted. I get a big bottle of water. I'm sorted for the train. So I stand in the big, busy kind of um, place where you look at the board and don't look at anybody. Um, so I stood there, and I clocked out of the corner of my eye this young couple walking kind of 
walking around, just um, meandering, and everyone else was standing still looking at the thing. So I just caught the movement, and I realized that they clocked me as well, and they were walking straight towards me. And I thought, oh, here we go. And they had a look about them. I've got to admit, they had a look about them that made me think, oh, boy, you know. Um, they came up to me anyway. It was a young lad and his girlfriend. I assume it was his girlfriend. And he started talking to me about his situation and her situation. They were homeless, and um, he was 19. It's a lovely, lovely kid, you know, um, just really bright and um, very articulate. And he had a real gift of the gab. He could have probably taught me around to, to do anything for him. But actually, he was so lovely, he just wanted to chat a bit. He wasn't asking for money, you know. He didn't even say, I'm not asking for money, which usually means they are asking for money. Um, he was just talking. And he s started, he mentioned that he, they hadn't eaten for about three days. So I just cut him short and, and said, are you hungry? He said, yeah, I'm hungry. Okay. And that meant that I, I could do something. I could connect with them. So I, I said, you're in luck. And I went a bit over the top in, in trying to promote what I bought. So <laughs> I was being extra. You know, sometimes when I'm in an awkward situation, I know you find this hard to believe, but I kind of overcompensate by being extra friendly or extra stupid. Or a, So I was extra friendly, uh, almost to the point of scaring them off. Uh, and I was saying, oh, just wait. Look and see what I... So I was... <laughs> promoting these lovely products, or so I thought. So I was saying, uh, uh, this one's got uh, lots of beans and pulses in, which would be great protein for you both. And uh, it's beetroot, but don't be put off. You know, it's not boiled beetroot like at school. It's, uh, it's, it's raw, but it's got um, this lovely dip drizzled over it and a bit of chili. <laughs> and I kind of stood there thinking, we've picked the wrong person. <laughs> so I continued to, and, and the guy said, uh, did you say beetroot? I said, yeah, beetroot. He said, oh, nah. I don't like beetroot. I was like, oh, okay, well, you could just like scrape it to the side. And he said, <laughs> he said, nah, but it stains everything, doesn't it? It stains everything. <laughs> so I was like, okay, right. Well, I'll keep that then. Then I went to the next thing. I think it was a, a mango and crayfish and chili. It was lovely, you know. Cra what crayfish? Crayfish? Didn't didn't like crayfish. And it's, I don't know if his girlfriend did or not. She didn't say a word for the entire conversation. So I put that back in my bag, tried something else, even resorted to, what about crisps? Crisps, you know? Uh, he said, he, and at, at that point, he just kind of gave me a, a, a bit of a smile and said, don't worry about it, mate. And they walked off, <laughs> leaving me the opposite of empty-handed, you know, leaving me with all my stuff, feeling uh, just a bit foolish. But also, I felt a bit affronted. This is my confession. I felt affronted because a little phrase entered my head, and the phrase was, I'm embarrassed to say it, beggars can't be choosers. That's what I felt. I was like, come on, you haven't eaten for three days. You're homeless, and you're turning down it because it might be stained with beetroot. You know, come on, try crayfish. You might like, you know, that was my attitude, and it was the wrong attitude. It was the wrong attitude. Um, so I, I had... A, a long train journey to reflect on that and to enjoy the food that I couldn't get rid of. <laughs> and it made me, when I was reflecting and kind of putting that in front of God, I guess, um, my thinking was turned around. My thinking became, why can't beggars be choosers? Why can't people who are hungry, desperate, down and out, um, have choice, have 
have freedom, have, you know, um, have their tastes met, you know, um, why can't um, homeless people be vegetarian? Why can't homeless people be gluten intolerant? You, do you see what I mean? Why should beggars be choosers? That, that's the turnaround in my thinking. And it even made me reflect on how we approach God. It made me reflect on how charities operate. You know, I think still in our culture, we have this attitude. It's kind of a Victorian attitude, I think, that says those that have will give to those that have not. But there are conditions, there are string strings attached. Even if it's, I will feel good about this and you will feel very low about this. You know, I will make you feel very humble, but I will give you some food. We still have that attitude and it, and it permeates our society. It permeates our culture and we need to change that. Beggars can be choosers. We are choosers in the kingdom, are we not? We don't have to come to God as this humble, oh, please, excuse me, sir, have you got, you know, we don't have to be Oliver Twist when we approach God, do we? Do we? We don't. We have choices. The amount of times over the past few months I've spoken to people in this church and they've had a revelation from God where God has answered their prayer by giving them a choice or saying, do, what, do whatever you want, it's up to you. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes that's not the answer we're looking for. No, no, God, I need a bit of direction here, you know, this way or that way. Either way is fine. I will bless you, whatever you do. Wow. Beggars can be choosers. We need to stop providing soup kitchens and start providing casserole kitchens, fajita kitchens. <laughs> you see... When we do something for somebody else and it's a gift, you know, it's, it's a gift because it's undeserved, we need to 100% let go of that thing we've given. No strings attached. That was one of the, 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 the founding principles of the Bay Food Bank and still is. No strings attached. Isn't it, Alan? Isn't it Jackie in the booth? Yes. See, she's listening. No strings attached. Because when you give something to somebody, you've got to let go. You've got to stand back from it. That even means birthday presents. That even means a coffee table you don't need anymore, and you're giving it to somebody who hasn't got a coffee table. Don't go around to the house in two weeks' time and say, how's my coffee table? Are you looking after it? You haven't waxed it. <laughs> I use that as an example because somebody did that to me once. <laughs> Every time they come to our house, we have to clean the coffee table. <laughs> you see, the string, strings attached. Strings attached. And it's not a gift if there are strings attached. Yeah? Ribbons and bows, that's fine. <laughs> Giving means letting go completely. That's what I'm saying. Whether it's a birthday present or a, a, a love gift or an act of service or a compliment. Otherwise, it's control not connection. And that'll do. Amen.